Welcome to the Marketing Millennials, the No BS Marketing Podcast. I'm Daniel Murray, and join me for unfiltered conversations with the brains behind marketing's coolest companies. The one request I tell our guests, stories or it didn't happen. Get ready to turn the f*** up. Creators, probably nine times out of ten, are going to outperform any traditional advertising production in just about any capacity. (laughs) You know, you could give a creator, hey, like, produce an ad. I'll bet you, like, their content will outperform a nicely produced ad anytime. Any content that they create is probably going to outperform any commercial. Like, most of the time, so long as, you know, you've really done your research and vetted people properly, creators are going to outperform just about anything else. What's up, Brendan? Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Pumped to be here. I want to start about your journey. How did you get into the marketing space and influence marketing? It's definitely a story of right place, right time. I graduated from college 2005 and uh, got my first internship in advertising at a boutique agency in San Francisco. That was that era where it was like you still needed your college email address to have a Facebook and, you know, all my friends were on MySpace and YouTube was just starting to become a thing. Uh, I think maybe that was like late 2005 or so. And being like the young guy in the office, people would sort of just hit me up asking questions like, what goes on on MySpace? Or like, what, can you show me Facebook? Like that kind of thing. And so over time, I just started pitching social media ideas. I had no business doing that. I was technically a junior account executive, but I don't know, people were asking me about it. And and so I just sort of thought there was a lot of opportunity. And then my first real break was in 2006, we were about to pass on a deal with a brand that was a portable MP3 player. They wanted the TV spot. They didn't have the budget for a TV spot. So the partners were going to pass on it. And I just happened to be there when they were talking and I sort of spun around it was like, we should do a deal with these guys on YouTube. And they're like, oh, you can pitch it to them. We're cool. Like, whatever. So let's see what happens. So pitched it. We did it. Got millions of views. Crashed the client's website. And I sort of never looked back. I parlayed that into a job at Mechanism. And we basically built up an early, like, social media team. Pre-paid ads. You know, we would do a lot of influencer marketing to drive traffic to things. A lot of viral videos, Reddit seeding, blog outreach. Did that for about six years. Then went to full screen, which was a YouTube MCN. Then started my own influencer marketing agency, Epic Signal. And after two years, sold that to Mechanism, which was like really roundabout way of getting back to Mechanism. And I've been at Mechanism, which is an in Sorry, I keep wanting to say an independent creative agency. We were an independent creative agency. We were just acquired. We're a creative agency, and I oversee uh, the social media team there. I want to go into, you are really passionate about influencer marketing and social media. So how do you think it's changed from when you started to now? What makes a successful influencer marketing campaign? In terms of what's changed is really interesting. In the early days, it was a much smaller space. Everybody sort of knew each other. It sort of felt like 
the start of like a band becoming popular or something like that, where everybody sort of knows each other and then it explodes and everybody's sort of like, well, I knew them back when they were playing this small club and then they're, you know, big dollars and celebrities and stuff like that. So there's that sort of aspect. I think the ecosystem, you know, those those early creators, a lot of them, the persona was, I would say, a bit different in the sense that they were there almost because of the fact that it was like a creative outlet, first and foremost. There wasn't really money in the early days. Like the, the check was really like, you know, we, I, I wrote a bunch of creators, like their first or second or third check. And that was like all like upside for them. For a lot of them, it was a way to connect with people. I would say that early crop of creators, a lot of them were sort of like misfits and awkward people. And now I feel like it, to a certain extent, it's the new path to celebrity. And then, of course, there's the money and uh, business aspect of it. I think in terms of working with brands before, there was a lot more explaining that you'd have to do in education. Like a lot of people would be like, wait, people watch this? Um, now you say influencer, everybody knows what that is. So in those early days, it was just, uh, it was much more this sort of geeky culture, I would say. And the business was not particularly developed. You hear a lot of the creators that made it were ostracized at school from being like popular on platforms so even like the year early like vine creators and yeah. stuff like that they were they were kind of ostracized as well and the people on twitter who were big and facebook they kind of were looked at as why are you creating stuff online now if you're an influencer you kind of have swag some of them are still like i think that's even a newer trend because even josh richards when he was like popular on like musically he was like ostracized his whole school school and now he's one of the biggest creators out there so um <laughs> it's funny i want to go a little deeper into that so how how should brands now be thinking of working with influencers now that there's a new wave how do you yeah. spot great influencers and what makes a great ca campaign now the general philosophy that i preach and mechanism preaches is treat a brand partnership with creators like an athlete endorsement in the sense that you want it to be a real collaboration in an ongoing basis across multiple campaign touch points. Even though influencer marketing now is like whatever, 15, 16 years old, at least in the video space, even longer, if you uh, count like the blogging influencers and stuff, the overwhelming amount of dollars, I would say, go towards sort of one-off activations. But if you think about it, Beyond their reach and distribution, part of the reason you want to work with creators is the fact that they are a trusted, credible source to their audience. And if you do one-off activations with creators and they are working with brands to make a living, that means that there's a decent chance at some point they're going to be offered to work with your competitor. So why wouldn't you get ahead of that and make sure you're not diluting the brand's equity or the creator's equity and do an ongoing partnership. And I recognize the need for testing and experimenting and building to something like that. But I think in general, a lot of brands overlook the idea of a really deep integrated partnership. You know, there, there's so many benefits. There's economies of scale. So you can sort of negotiate, you know, essentially bulk deals, the category exclusivity, 
a lot of opportunity to test and learn. There's efficiencies because so much of that work goes into that initial phase of just doing the research, who's going to be a right fit, doing the contracting, negotiation, onboarding, that first activation. And over time, that gets easier and easier the longer you partner with the creator. So I really like sort of applying the Nike meets Jordan type model to the creator space. And I think more brands should be doing that. I see it now, even being like a B2B creator, which is funny. A brand will come to me and want to sponsor me. And then their competitor will come like three weeks later and sponsor me. And I always like give some people that I've used for a lot and have relationships say, I'll, I'll give them the right to refusal of the deal. But to be able to like say you're working with this this person is a part of like the company. They believe in it so much that they're working for a long time and their name is now attached to that company forever. Instead of like that one time where it's attached for what, 30 seconds and then you don't think about it anymore. Look at the athlete endorsements. Like how crazy would it be if the model was uh, Nike paid Jordan to wear their shoes for one basketball game. And then the next one Reebok was able to slip in and sponsor like the whole thing would be a fucking mess. And so why wouldn't you apply the same principles to influencer marketing? Obviously there's nuances. I understand there's exceptions and, but I think that is the biggest opportunity. And I think generally speaking, that's probably the most overlooked opportunity for big brands. One of the problems is how short-term minded a lot of marketing teams are with campaigns. They don't mm-hmm. think house is going to create brand for equity for the long term. They're thinking like, how am I going to hit my revenue number this quarter? But the brand marketers would understand that this person attached to my brand for two years will have this lasting brand affinity that when they're on the screen, they think my brand. I want to go into some like challenges that you you see in the industry right now. Now that there's so many creators, how do you pick the right ones? How do you know when to work with them? What does a good partnership look like? I'm going to go deeper into that. So generally speaking, we'll sort of come up with like, what's the campaign platform and strategy? And so there's sort of the overarching campaign messaging And then we try and develop like what's a framework that's like broad enough we can give it to creators and they can sort of interpret it for their own platforms and channels. And so once we sort of have that high level idea based off of our goal and objectives, we do three things. So we basically we we do the outreach and we negotiate, then we onboard them and then we activate them up. So first we develop like what the criteria is, what are our goals? So based off of that, you know, we're going to take into account what's the demographic we're trying to reach. What's the appropriate platform? Uh, what verticals does it make sense to reach this audience or for the product or the brand? So we'll sort of have like the qualitative and quantitative mix, you know, demographic, psychographic category, sort of brand tone, that type of thing, like production value, And then even sort of like the platforms we want to prioritize based off of our objectives. And so we start with the filter first, and then we go out and do research. And we've got a bunch of tools that we use. 
which help, but admittedly, a lot of it is still very manual. So, you know, we use tools like Tagger or TikTok Creator Marketplace, Tensor Social to help, you know, we'll plug in sort of like the the specific demographic criteria and or, or vertical, and it'll give some good recommendations generally. But oftentimes, we'll sort of do a bit of manual searching, basically build out a big list of creators that we feel meet the criteria, take that to the client, let them sort of redline whoever they feel is not the right brand fit. And then we go out and talk to creators, you know, do outreach, talk to their managers, them directly, and get insight into budget-wise, like, is it going to work? And are they available? And try and get them on the phone to get a sense of, like, how are they reacting to it? How excited do they seem? So there's like that little bit of like an X factor with all this. And then based off of that conversation, we sort of, or those conversations, we sort of look at the whole list and we basically sort of money ball. We're like, all right, this is like where we're going to get the most bang for our buck. And it's not just straight numbers. It is taking into account that X factor. If like there's a creator we're talking to who is like super proactive, seems buttoned up, makes calls on time, sort of is proactively coming to the table with ideas, that's going to count for a lot and go a long way. And so based off of that list, we're going to whittle it down, contract the creators that we're going to move forward with, and then onboard and activate them. And pre-COVID times, whenever possible, we'd try and do in-person sort of onboardings and summits and do something pretty elaborate if the budget allowed for it, you know, fly all the creators out to some city and meet at the brand headquarters. And then if there's like a celebrity involved, do a meet and greet, like stuff like that. Make sure that they really understand the brand and the campaign beyond just the brief and then go on and move forward and activate them. So essentially you're moving into the project management and production phase of it all. And if it's an ongoing relationship, try and apply learnings from activation to activation. I think one of your things that you said just for like creators that I think is really interesting and I haven't heard many people say is how much you weigh being easy to work with as a creator. A lot of people think like, okay, I just want to get this big creator and they realize how bad they are to work with, how hard it is to get the briefs, the, the, the creative out. And it just makes it just a pain to run the campaign. So I love that, that insight of being easy to work with as a creator. A hundred percent. And that's why too, like you really do want to start with a blank slate and start with like the filter first. And then back into it and and build out a much bigger list than you need. But the worst thing is sort of being backed into a corner in terms of like creator, like essentially where maybe a client or internally for whatever reason, you're like, it's got to be this one or two creators. Inevitably, like always, like when you're in that situation where it's tight, the creator isn't available or they're too expensive or... They're really not excited about it and you're making compromises to try and make it work. So giving yourself leverage by building out a much bigger roster than is needed of people that sort of meet that criteria, it gives you so much room to basically identify and focus on like who's going to be a great partner for us, who wants to be a part of this. What is a marketing hill you would die on? I would say that by and large, I think 
creators probably nine times out of 10 are going to outperform any traditional advertising production in just about any capacity. <laughs> you know, you could give a creator, hey, like produce an ad. I'll bet you like their content will outperform like a, a nicely produced ad anytime. Any content that they create is probably going to outperform any commercial. Like most of the time, so long as you know you've really done your research and vetted people properly, creators are going to outperform just about anything else. Yeah, I wanted to ask you what are your thoughts on because I know like some creators understand the audience and create good content because they understand the audience, but how for like an ad point of view, how do you? help them with understanding mixing their authentic self with the content that actually converts because i think that's one thing that most startup creators aren't marketers so they could try do something like but like how do you in the brief tell them like okay this is to sell this product you need to do xyz but not also be like too rigid with that so We've worked on a ton of different campaigns. I would say that by and large, it's more traditional sort of brand awareness, engagement, that type of thing. That said, when we've done performance campaigns with creators, I would say one thing that stands out in terms of how to make it effective from a performance standpoint and sales standpoint is integrate the creator throughout the funnel so that there's continuity don't just have a creator like plug something, have a like, you know, link in bio and it goes to a website, have it be a landing page designed with like that creator on it. So there's like continuity. Another thing, which I think is generally like an underutilized tactic is incorporate the creators into a paid campaign. So like we've done campaigns where we, you know, had creators do a ton of you know, a decent amount of like organic content. And then we had them actually participate as talent in ads that we use to target their audience and lookalike audiences where it featured them in the creative. So we took them down the funnel and then, you know, had those personalized landing pages. So across the, you know, the entire, like every touch point was, there was continuity with the creator at sort of the center of it. Same general messaging brought to life by a bunch of different creators. So it felt very personalized. And I think that that performs generally pretty well. Yeah. I mean, I've seen a lot of, at least I've seen my wife running a lot of UGC with creators and also like using their social accounts to run ads instead yeah. of coming from the brand account, running ads on the social account. So those are two great ways to incorporate creators as well um, into your paid. A hundred percent. What is a trend you're seeing right now that marketers should jump on? I think there's three sort of broad trends to be aware of. I mean, the first one is maybe a little bit obvious, but I think creators are brands and they're developing brands. So if you think about it, the like revenue pie, I would say five, 10 years ago, it was like 90% ad revenue for a creator and 10% them selling their own product. And for like a lot of creators, that's totally inverted. So as a result, they've got so much more leverage and they recognize that their sort of 
in the driver's seat and they're building out their own brand. So I think more and more, more established brands are going to have to really create something unique and valuable to creators and do real meaningful partnerships for it to be special enough for, for to like basically get a creator to be like, no, I'm not going to launch my own brand product, whatever I'll partner. And so I think you're going to see a lot of major brands do more deep partnerships, sort of that Nike Jordan model, uh, the sort of pay to play, just pay to post days, certainly for big creators, I think are sort of going to continue to diminish I would say the other thing in general is sort of a shift towards owning a direct line of communication to your audience and dark social. So like your discords, your SMS platforms, your email platforms or, you know, email lists, social media is great, but you're sort of building on rented land and you're at the mercy of the algorithm. And we've seen this like, time and time again with each new platform. Organic growth is very easy. Initially, it gets harder and harder with time, and you become more and more reliant on paid. The way to future-proof yourself of that is build that direct line of communication to your audience. So I think that's another one. And then I would say third, I think that um, live shopping is going to be massive here in the U.S., you know, if you look, there's already sort of like parallels historically that QVC has historically been massive in the U.S. So social commerce in China, where it's much more established, has been around a lot more. Live commerce is huge. And you see all the platforms sort of adopting functionality and investing in live. I think it's going to be a really big part of sort of the, the ecosystem here in the coming years, for sure. The brand one is so true too, because I hate to say like the Josh Richard example, but like when he saw everybody promoting Bang on TikTok, he just went to go start his own energy drink company. So he's like, I'm not gonna promote Bang and get paid. I just can make more money starting my yeah. own energy drink. And so he partnered with someone behind the scenes to launch an energy drink. So it's kind of that, like, why, if you can make a bigger margin, why don't just do it yourself? So, like, that's why I think that long-term play that you said earlier in the podcast is, like, even more important for brands because once brand creators realize, like, how much equity they have with their audience and they could do it themselves, that one-time activation is going to be nothing to them anymore. Like, they, w- they want that sustainable income that comes comes with it. And it's funny. So I've got, um, I had this on a tab open here, Prime, you know, KSI and Logan Paul's company. It's the sixth largest brand in the sport drink category already. It's been around less than a year. Like that's insane. Yeah. And um, Mr. Beast and Mr. Beast Burgers, you even see it like um, work week, which I am a creator for, like they even see it with them, like where they are starting to, starting thinking of like what SaaS products could we build off of like B2B creators and own that distribution. That's Um, awesome. Yeah. It's smart. Yeah. So it's like, it's, which is funny because everything that happens in consumer takes time to get a B2B and it eventually happens. 
like AIM to Slack, like all these like consumer products that were huge, like finally make it to B2B. So now this influencer stuff, like B2B influencers are starting to become the th- creators of the future that, cause SaaS, they, a lot of their audience have buying power where yeah. Mr. Beast, a lot of them can't afford $10,000 SaaS product for their company. <laughs> so, uh, I wouldn't think so. Who in the influencer marketing space do you look to for inspiration? Who has some good ideas that are sharing right now? I think like in terms of people I follow for like their commentary on the space, I definitely go to TubeFilter, Phil Ranta, Jim Lauterbach, who's the former um, CEO of VidCon. He's been in the space forever. Reed and Ezra from Night Media are always sharing thoughtful takes online. I'm sure I'm missing a ton of others, but those are sort of the ones that just like right here in this moment, I could rattle off off the top of my head. Yeah, it's, it's good. It also shows what brand those people have top of mind for you. Uh, yeah. If someone was starting out in the influencer marketing space or marketing, what is some advice would you give them if they, and they would, that they will come back five years later and thank you for, or even a two years later to thank you for? On the influencer marketing side, I would say like recognize that you're dealing with personalities. And I think relationships are really, really important. I think the mistake that a lot of folks in like the agency world and just in brand world, like just marketers in general can sort of fall into when it comes to thinking about creators and where to sort of categorize them and how to approach them is like looking at them as a media channel first and foremost, but there's something new, you know, they're like, they're a friend to their subscribers and followers. They're a production company. They're creative. They're a media company. Like there, there's something new. And we marketers oftentimes fall into this bad habit of, bracketing them as like a media channel first and foremost. And I think that's a big mistake. I would also say if like somebody was going out there and getting into influencer marketing today to like launch a brand or build like an influencer marketing agency, the space is so vast now that I would really think about defining a niche and it maybe even a niche within a niche. Cause like there's so much content out there. There's so many management companies. There's so many different types of creators. I think to distinguish yourself, you really need to be specific. One of the things I was really interested getting into, like going out of college and it was just a new thing was influencer marketing. I didn't know how to crack the code. So I just decided to create content online myself and understand awesome. myself. Uh, so it's that's a good a cool piece of advice. Thing. Actually, I'll tack that one on there too. make content yourself. <laughs> I mean, since you're, I, I want to give you also one more, two minutes to talk about yourself. I know you're an influencer yourself on TikTok. You're on my For You page like twice a day now. So I would love to know where people can find you. People can find me anywhere online at Brendan Gann, B-R-E-N-D-A-N-G-A-H-A-N. I do have a TikTok. I, I, TikTok and LinkedIn are my two big main channels. And then... 
I do a good amount on Twitter as well. And I have a website with like a blog and everything where I'll do longer form content. But yeah, my, my TikTok is like a lot of social media marketing. I would say news and strategies, basically a lot of commentary on what's going on and then sort of like insights and best practices. Hopefully people like it. <laughs> I mean, you also adopting something cool that I don't see many creators do is like, with your thumbnails, I think oh, that's yeah, one yeah, of the yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's like the YouTube approach, but nobody's really doing it that well on TikTok and you crushing it with all those. Thanks. It looks like a professional feed when I go there. I was like, oh, I was like scrolling. This is easy to scroll through to find what I need to. Um, ah, thanks, for man. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, of course. Well, this has been great. Thank you for that. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun and um, really appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week to hear more great insights from marketing's coolest operators. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the Marketing Millennials podcast and giving it a five-star rating. It helps bring more marketers into our community.